Hi, uh, this is Darren here, and I'm joined by Andrew. Hello, hi. Um, so very, very quickly, just doing a quick intro in front of our podcast. Last year, Andrew and I did a very insane thing for a very good cause, uh, where we recorded an 18-hour live podcast to support the Irish Cancer Society for Daffodil Day. That's right. Um, Huge day um, each year for the Irish Cancer Society, where a very, a very large portion of their fundraising happens that day. Now, yeah. this year, of course... It's a little bit different. Yes, this year it's been cancelled. Um, it's been estimated that they raised about €4 million Euro, uh, through Daffodil Day to account for 20% of their annual budget. They only receive 3% of their funding from the state. They're usually dependent on this. Um, COVID-19 crisis has meant that they've had to cancel and suspend this year's Daffodil Day. And the implications are huge. It's a charity that is very close to my heart, very close to Andrew's heart. Yeah, we, um, we both know people who have had... Or who who have um, a, a cancer and people who've suffered from it, and the services the Irish Cancer Society provide are are kind of immeasurable in terms of improving quality of life and improving awareness and supporting um, as well. So what we would like to request from listeners, um, and again, completely understand um, if not, but just to, to raise awareness of it, if you do have a little bit of money and if you do enjoy the podcast, even if you don't enjoy the podcast, but also have a little bit of money, um, we would like to recommend that maybe you make a donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society to help make up the difference. Um, every little helps. So you can donate uh, directly at cancer.ie, which is the website. Uh, but you can also donate via text if you're based in Ireland um, as well. And if you text the word cancer uh, to 50300, that number again is 50300. And that will make a couple of euro donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and we hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Andrew Quinn, and joining me is my co-host, Darren Mooney. Hello! Uh, And this week we're discussing Alan Mack and Andrew Lau's 2002 Hong Kong police thriller... Infernal Affairs. Infernal Affairs. How are you, Andrew? Uh, I'm good. How are you, Darren? I'm, I'm very good. Thanks. Um, yes. So basically, uh, for those not familiar with the film, um, it is an action. Sorry, it's kind of like a, a police thriller that was released in 2002 in uh, Hong Kong. It went on to become one of the highest grossing films in Hong Kong cinema history. It had a phenomenal success overseas. It's been adapted several times in several different markets, including Japan, but arguably most notably in the United States, where it served as the basis for Martin Scorsese's The Departed. Um, it is regarded as one of the landmarks of Eastern cinema. It is, to be entirely frank, one of my favorite films ever. In fact, one of my early favorite foreign films. Um, I really, really love this. So we're going to be talking about this today. And what we're doing is because COVID-19, because people are feeling self-quarantined, because people are feeling a little isolated, what we thought we'd do in the 250... For people who want to go to China. Yeah, but but can't really now, for, for whatever number of reasons may be in place. What we thought we'd do is we kind of bring a little bit of kind of foreign film in. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll be covering films on the list that are maybe kind of a little bit 
abroad overseas non-american so you know last week with the wonderful Anya o'connor we discussed uh contratempo because um, there are no random movies anymore <laughs> <laughs> everything has to have a reason that's a fair point um <laughs> Hey, 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 we did, we did, well, you're the one who dismantled the, uh, well, actually, I'm the one because I'm Andrew, apparently, this week. Uh, but yes, we, we dismantled the um, random number generator back no, in No, I, 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 I suggested that we make it even more fake. <laughs> <laughs> that we just, that we still have the random number generator, but take out all of the... Randomness. The, 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 the workings of it, but to still tell people that it's operating. Um, so we say, oh, the randomly number, uh, random selected <laughs> Uh, movie next week is oh and that's and and and, and that's incredible because that person has just died so it's good that we're covering it um yes so what we've been doing is we've been looking at films abroad so next week we'll be looking at gangs and walls of poor for two weeks the week after that we're doing anime April. generator killing actors <laughs> and directors <laughs> that's your think piece journalism from andrew for next week um but yes so Andrew, had you or Darren, had you seen? <laughs> are we going to keep doing this for the entire podcast? Um, had you seen Infernal Affairs before? Or was this the first time you saw it? I had. I. I. I do not think I had seen this before. No. No, I had not. I. I love that. I do not think that I've seen this before. <laughs> uh, not to my knowledge. Because yeah. <laughs> I think they're, they're, like I'm, not not to get too spoilery, but I think I'm they're. Being, I'm being uh, questioned. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that not not to be too coy, there were moments I think that you recognized in the movie, despite the fact <laughs> that you think you, you may never have seen yeah. it before as well, because it is as we mentioned, it is the basis of Martin Scorsese's The Departed. Uh, there's a I'm lot of that. If in I might have seen it years ago and possibly kind of forgotten yeah, it yeah. or combined it with, um, yeah, because this is a movie I mentioned earlier, kind of in the introduction. This is. One of the first foreign films that I remember properly falling in love with. And again, we've talked on the podcast before about how I, you know, am maybe not as kind of schooled or not as kind of familiar with foreign cinema as I should be. Um, I've huge oversights in that area. Haven't seen a lot of Bergman, for example, um, that sort of stuff. Uh, but when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I would watch Channel 4 and Channel 4 would show a lot of East Asian cinema, which was which was fantastic. Ringu was one of those that I oh, remember yes. seeing, and Audition actually, because I think we've discussed this on the podcast before. I think so. Audition remains one of the the handful of movies to give me actual, honest to goodness nightmares, and probably still does, even though I haven't watched in about twenty years. Um, and Infernal Affairs was one of those movies, one of those movies that I came to uh, through, I think, Channel 4's uh, Monday Night Slot, I want to say. It, it's been years since I've seen it. I kind of fell instantly head over heels in love with. I bought the DVD from a specialty shop. I watched that countless times as well. And kind of like, I hadn't watched it in several years before watching it for this podcast. What happened was it came into the list uh, around about December um, for the first time. In large part because, and I think we discussed this around about the time we were talking about Wizard of Oz, around the time we were talking about um, Gone with the Wind, the, you know, the major cull that happened in the list around, say, August, September last year, where a number of kind of prominent titles dropped off from the low 230s downwards, including films like, say, Groundhog Day and that sort of thing. And as a result, you started seeing a lot more international films coming in near the bottom as well. This was one of those. Like Jaws and Groundhog Day. Well, to be clear, Stripe, Jaws Stripe. is one of the ones that left, not one of the international ones that came in. No, yeah, yeah. but when they when they left the list, um, they, they, they put kind of uh, the shark like a picture of him on front of a van 
and drove it around the town uh, with a with a with a uh, with a convoy of cars behind us to uh, to commemorate its passing. <laughs> He was saluted by Steven Spielberg, who was yeah. standing in an alleyway. Um, yeah. while Bruce! <laughs> but yes, um, so this is a movie kind of I've been wanting to cover for a little while. And I'm, I'm going to be honest in terms of random number generator. No, this is Darren putting his finger very firmly on the scale because I wanted to watch it again. Um, and also because we had a cancellation of a guest at short notice. And so we needed a film that I happened to have a Blu-ray of handy and wanted to talk about. So this is why we're talking about Infernal Affairs uh, this time around. But so, Andrew, um, first impressions of Infernal Affairs. Like, coming off what may or may not be your first watch of this film. Um, I, I I enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, um, it's it's it's... It's difficult, I suppose, having seen the part to 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 separate the two. Like it 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 is it is, it is um, like the it's it's almost kind of beat for beat. It is exactly, and like this is yeah. an interesting. It's not like inspired by or yeah, or like, kind of loosely it's kind not of. Not much of a kind of yeah, like n- not not really. Too it's not loose like we, an adaptation. Yeah, no. we didn't take the same concept and run with it in a different direction. And this is kind of interesting because I rewatched The Departed late last year as part of like a mini Scorsese kind of marathon for myself. Uh, obviously, with the Irishman coming out, and what's interesting is that you're right. It's not a loosely inspired by. There are several scenes which are lifted directly from one into the other. And what's interesting when you watch The Departed, particularly having like not watched The Departed in a long while, the scenes in The Departed which work the weakest are arguably the ones that are lifted most directly from this. In large part because they seem to be the scenes where The Departed stops doing what it wants to do and starts including scenes because, well, they're in the original and we have to include them. Which is kind of interesting, you know. There's and again, we're, we're going to be talking later in the year. We're hopefully going to be doing a summer of Scorsese. I'm still working under the title Score Scorsese for 2020, but that doesn't seem to be gaining traction. Uh, but we'll be doing a kind of a, a season of Scorsese movies later in the year, and we'll be covering the Departed as part of that. So I don't want to get too much into it now. Why but, not just score with me, Scorsese? Like score, yeah, hyphen Scorsese. We'll talk about this. <laughs> this might, I think Andrew may have cracked it. Uh, but yes, um, so we'll be talking about those movies later in the year, so I don't want to get too drawn into talking about them in the context of this film. But it is notable that, yes, several... If The thing, the thing about The Departed is that The Departed is the entirety of this movie, which is a tight one-hour, 40-minute movie. It's actually surprisingly kind of tight, propulsive, very straightforward, very sort of like beat, 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 beat. It does movie. feel like it goes a lot faster than Departed. Yes, that's it exactly. Uh, li- li- listeners and um, <laughs> to to the Irishman and people who've seen the Irishman <laughs> in all six parts. <laughs> will, people will who have it. read articles about the Irishman, yeah, will so not, will... brush past it on Netflix <laughs> after looking at the running time. They'll, on they'll notice Scorsese likes a a long movie. Yeah. I uh, like to take his time. Yes, and The Departed is, like, The Departed is basically the hour and 40 minutes of uh, Infernal Affairs, plus about another hour of plot on top of that. And, like, that that's why it's kind of so interesting when you're watching it, because the, the elements that are lifted directly from this movie seem to just be there because this is an adaptation of Infernal Affairs, as opposed to Infernal Affairs, where there is no, there's no real fat on there. There's maybe one or two sequences later on, we'll talk about in the spoiler zone, that you probably could trim, or look like they don't entirely belong, or maybe look like they belong to a type of movie that this isn't entirely committed to being. But generally speaking, 
it is ironically very similar to that shark that you wanted to put a picture of on a van and drive around town. It's an animal that's built very specifically for a purpose and moves very clearly and very propulsively towards that purpose. And and I, I really, really loved it. I was actually kind of nervous coming back to it because you know how it is when you've watched a film as a teenager and you've loved that film as a teenager and you're well aware that that film that you loved as a teenager is a genre film. Um, So it's, you know, it's cops and robbers and criminals. And by the way, it's notable. And, and now that film that you loved as a teenager is married <laughs> and has a ch- child. <laughs> and is just waiting for her husband to pick her up um, outside the shop while you go and visit a masseuse in your spare time. Um Listeners who haven't watched the movie, that is an example from the movie, not from our lives. To be absolutely clear. Um, it's also sorry. <laughs> um, but no, m- more seriously though, like you know, like when you watch a movie as a teenager, and particularly when yeah, it's a genre, it's that happened a lot in uni. Actually, yeah, people would like whip out something like um, this is like um, American friend whipped out Air Force One, insisted we all watch this, <laughs> like. Sorry, this doesn't this doesn't really hold up. Um, yeah, maybe maybe it didn't hold up as much as yeah yeah or it's, it's, it's a bit thing things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that's fair. And again, I was kind of anxious coming to this. It's also notable that like our two fifty world space really oh that's a, a that's a hot take. Well, yeah, I think I think it's a it would, uh, th- that's probably one that you want to see when you're in. Um, I think we've spoken about this before. Oh, the perfect kind of pinpoint age. Yeah, yeah. When you're when you're kind of in freshman year in 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 uni, as opposed to kind of waiting and seeing it as kind of yeah. a, an, when an you've animal. never had an office job, <laughs> but, but imagine you know but what it feels that you hate your office job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and like again, it's notable that like the world cinema that we're covering as part of this season is very front loaded towards crime drama. Last week we did Contratiempo, which was basically a Hitchcock homage uh, about you know a murder, an unsolvable murder. This week we're doing kind of like Infernal Affairs, which is cops and robbers, and next week we're doing Gangs of Wazipur, which is another sort of crime epic as well. And the week after that we're doing <laughs> but Gangs it, of Wazipur. Yeah, the week after that we are also doing Gangs of Wazipur. Yeah, yes. homage to Groundhog. <laughs> um but yeah kind of like so i was anxious coming back to it and i thought it held up very very well i was actually quite impressed with like how much i enjoyed how much i was unembarrassed by the fact that i loved this as a teenager um because it it is a spectacularly well-made film in terms of basic mechanics in terms of storytelling in terms of how it looks in terms of how it feels in terms Um, of the performances and characterization of, yeah. of of the movie is 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 very kind is very compelling it is indeed and i mean like again before we get into the spoiler zone you're probably aware of the departed so it probably isn't a spoiler to say it is basically about a criminal who has gone undercover as a cop and a cop who's gone undercover as a criminal and their paths crossing and kind of trying to uncover one another amid a kind of a mesh of lies as the cops yeah. investigate the triads and you have this like again it's a concept that could become very you know, for lack of a better word, indulgent and wanky, this whole sort of like Freudian school of it's about identity, man, and, and modern masculinity and about, well, you know, the two-faced perception of the self. But it... it, it well, no, no, because because the, all of that is there, but you, yeah. it, it's a it's a great movie because um, it, it can be appreciated on both uh, levels. Yeah, that's it exactly, and it it's never too forceful or too self aware or too heavy handed in what it's doing. It's never like it never feels no, like it's labor. It's like like um like like RoboCop. 
Yeah, it's, one of the great two movies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, is 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 a kind of an investigation of what it means to 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 be a to be a person. Yeah, um, and, and it's also it, yeah, <laughs> and it's also like a f- futuristic um, cop movie. Yeah, and th- this and a commentary on capitalism, and also a fantastic piece of special effects showcase. Like, it's... yeah, and 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 a retelling of the story of Christ. Yes, yes, actually, it was. It's also an Easter movie, as you pointed yes. out when we watched it. Um, yeah, and and again, like, there's a lot of that in here as well, where it is is you can watch it and enjoy it as kind of a thrill a minute sort of like you know paranoid invest kind of like nail-biting suspense thriller and you can also look at it and see if you want and i apologize to andrew in advance no, as no, a commentary no, I, on what I, hong I, kong is or kind of like hong kong's place kind of caught between extremes at you know the the end of the 20th century start of the 21st century and things like that as well no, i feel it's fair to encourage that sort of thing and to to encourage a kind of discussion of the duality of man yeah um, um and, and, and it's all there and I absolutely adore and absolutely love it. So this is, again, we're, we're going to do the quick roundtable of three questions before we jump into spoilers. So uh, first question, Andrew, and again, you have only just watched this for the first time. Would it be on your list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Well, Darren, how, how long have you worked here <laughs> with that's me? A fair, that's a fair point. <laughs> I think we know how this conversation is going to go. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Dude, if... if, uh, if um, <laughs> If if I asked you to remove a movie from the two fifty, would you do it? Um, um, I mean, obviously you say yes. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. No. Um, yeah, I I agree with this being on the two fifty. Like the the um, you have to. I think I think it's easier for the departed to kind of. Um, be there to yeah yeah to 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 because of this uh movie like the it, it, it's the the structure of this movie is um um is the thing that really uh makes it work i think yeah and um that's the tension kind of uh throughout I I I I do like the departed an awful lot and I I'd, I'd I'd almost kind of say that it's a that that it might be a superior movie but it couldn't have it couldn't have been without without without, without, with, with, without this so I think this deserves more credit yeah. I think yeah, that, that's that's it and this gets a kind of like in terms of like the two fifty as an institution or whatever. I would argue, again, I really love The Departed. Like, this isn't going to turn into a kind of a session bashing The Departed. The Departed enough, also has all that Whitey Bulger stuff. Yes, indeed, on top yeah. of it. So and, they've, they've combined kind of two... Um, yeah, and it, it's a, it's an Irish-American movie. It's very specific. Ray Winston doing American <laughs> accents. Yeah. Which is it's great. great of its own thing as well. Yeah. <laughs> prune juice eh um but also it's in uh fool's gold yeah uh, with matthew mcconaughey yes um (laughs) there's um, a great there's a great clip on clip on youtube of adam and joe talking about (laughs) ray winston in uh fool's gold um but and again and again like um 
And I kind of agree with that. Like, again, this isn't going to turn into a session bashing The Departed. The irony is that we are hoping to get uh, the wonderful Jay Coyle to be kind of uh, our third wheel, basically, uh, for our Scorsese season. And he's going to be the one who takes The Departed out back, breaks its cast, and then <laughs> kind of like snaps various bones uh, and with a hammer, you know, while yelling, are you a mole? Are you a mole? Uh, but I, I really like The Departed as well. But I do think this has a better claim to being on the 250. I think it's a better movie. I really like The Departed, but I never loved The Departed in the same way that I, I loved this. And watching it again, I see why that is. I think this is a much tighter movie. I think Andrew's entirely right that, like... And again, it's really dismissive to say the concept is half the battle or anything like that. But the concept of this movie is so clever and so interwoven into how the film is constructed, both as a script, but also just in terms of, like, a movie. In terms of how it's actually physically built and structured. That, like, you're looking at it and... The Departed is a great movie, and I don't want to insinuate it was an easy movie to make in any way, shape, or form. No movie is an easy movie to make, but Andrew's entirely right that when you have a starting gem like this, it's perhaps easier than it would be for a movie starting out with nothing. Um, and I also think it's it's good to have more kind of like Hong Kong cinema on the list. One of the ironies of the list is that like over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about how China has become like a market that is usually important for films. And I believe that it's beginning to shape the films that we're seeing on the list. Capernaum last year, for example. It, and, and it's it's also shaping the films that we cover. Yes. yes. Like a, a large part of the movies that we cover for the podcast is to please our Chinese listeners and the Chinese government. Yeah, because I mean, the, the Chinese podcasting industry was only worth $200 million in 1999. 20 years later, it was worth over $9.2 billion. Um, we'd be foolish if we weren't trying to break into that market, if we're being entirely honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but more seriously, though, uh, what it's actually what's actually happening, which is interesting, is that you're seeing movies, foreign movies released in China, and then from China getting on to the 250. So thinking of Capernaum last year, the Lebanese yeah. movie, which opened in China, became one of the highest grossing films of the year and correspondingly appeared on the 250 around the same time it released in you China. Were, you were saying Contra Tiempo as well. Yeah, Contra Tiempo, which was a movie that was a modest box office success in Spain and is one of the top 10 highest grossing foreign language films in China and also uh, made the list as well. And kind of like, it's, it's interesting that despite that, there's relatively few Chinese films on the list there's this and there's like in the name of love or in the mood for love apologies uh, which we were considering covering for Chinese New Year or for Valentine's Day and we may do next year uh, for two guys die alone but that's that's kind of really about it in terms of representation of Chinese three guys die alone <laughs> yeah we year. did three guys hopefully next year we'll do three guys and a girl die alone and um, we're just kind of <laughs> gradually escalating the concept as we go baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it, it, it's not as much fun when you talk about a baby if you include a baby into it yeah so some things become less actually, fun actually it's not as much fun if you include anybody but the, the two, two of, of us, us. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like more of a judgment really on, on our guests when we do yeah, that, that yeah, it's fine if we say it about ourselves <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. feels very judgmental of other people uh, but it is it is interesting that there are so few Chinese films on the list and I, I think that it's great to have this on there the the flip side that the only reason I would be wary of putting it on is the 250 has a lot of crime films already it has a lot of this genre in there um, in particular, it's very male. It's it is very male, very masculine. Uh, like that's uh, not necessarily that, a problem, to be fair. But not a problem, yeah. but it's probably overrepresented. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. And again, like you know, I mean, take off maybe like like I don't take I, off the departed and put take, this on for example. Or yeah, something like the warrior. Oh yeah, warrior. Yeah, warrior. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Like, Warrior is not terrible or anything. But no, no. Um, we, we are going to have to find something to talk about when we talk about <laughs> Warrior. Um, it looms in the distance. It's like the opposite of Schindler's List, basically. There are several episodes of this podcast I'm terrified of us reaching. Schindler's List is one of them, and the other one I'm is... fine with doing Warrior. Yes. Um, the the I like like I, f- I, f- I feel like I'll be able to kind of talk about things I enjoyed about that yeah and maybe um, also <laughs> criticize it yeah uh, and then second question is would it be on your own personal two fifty Andrew um mm, probably not like the, the um I think uh aesthetically I think there were there were there were things that I enjoyed. Um, more about the um, I know I know it's 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 a it's perhaps an unnecessary thing to do, but I find myself kind of doing it automatically. Is kind of thinking I don't want to have if 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 it was a choice between this and the departed on yeah. my list, I might probably go for the departed just because of the the um. The, I think the performances were more kind of um, memorable. There was something more um, gritty, I thought. Um, it is, and again, not not a criticism the, on this film, but no, The Departed no. is a much more human film, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a much yeah. more kind of, it's very much feels like it's populated by people. And again, I, I really yeah. like this film. I really like the performances in this film. But it does feel a little bit more like you're watching chess pieces move across a board. In fact, there's yeah. an actual sequence where a character walks down steps with a chess board uh, on a giant poster behind him in case you don't get what's going on here. Yeah. Whereas The Departed feels a lot messier and a lot more um, human. And w- Yeah, and I think when this when this tries, uh, when this goes for kind of more human beats, it feels kind of, um, I guess, poppy for, for, for want of a better word. Yeah, I, I can um, see that. Yeah. So yeah. maybe not my own, no. For my own, it's a hard yes, uh, which is, is odd because this is very, I'm normally very equivocal, uh, you know, very prone to equivocate about this. I'm normally meant to be like, well, it depends. There are a lot of movies, but yes, this is this is a hard yes for me. This would probably be in my top 50, I think, maybe even exactly. top 25, because uh, I absolutely adore this. Um, and I'm really glad that I still absolutely adore this, uh, which is, too, is fantastic. Darren. And then finally... Um, and listeners, if you if, want to say more, you can. Oh, oh yeah. Well, no. Well, well that's why yeah, I'm yeah. rushed. I'm moving <laughs> us along very, very quickly. Okay. Uh, it's like I'm going to talk about the meat. Uh, but no. Before we before we move on, we ask and listeners, if you are listening to this podcast, um, this movie is readily available. Um, if you're listening in the UK and Ireland, the entire Infernal Affairs trilogy uh, is available on Netflix. Oh, it's a trilogy. It is a trilogy. Um, We'll talk maybe about that when we get towards the end of the podcast in terms of recommendations and stuff like that. Um, don't want to get too much into that in the context of this film because I think no. this film stands apart. It's one of those films, it's like The Matrix uh, in that it was designed as a standalone film, went on to become a massive, massive, massive success. Um, and then as a result, the, the writers and directors were quickly drafted and said, can you make two more of these in the space of a year? And they're like, sure, sure, we, we can do that. Um, and it's like, Given the way the film ends, that's that's quite an ask, I think, of, of kind of those writers and directors. And I think they do well enough, given like that handicap. Uh, but I do think the original is, is a genuine classic. But it is available on Netflix. If you are in America or overseas, you can buy a copy or rent a copy online from Google Play, uh, from Vudu, from, you know, basically anywhere where you can buy a digital copy as well. Um, and so the question is then, would you recommend that they do that, Andrew? 
I would. I would. I would. Uh, I'd recommend people see this movie. Um, it's it's well worth seeing, and it's 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 real, um, compelling viewing. Yep, absolutely unqualified uh, recommendation. It is an absolute pleasure from beginning to end, and it just it looks gorgeous um as well it looks gorgeous it's cleverly written it's wonderfully structured and it's got a hell of a central uh, conceit as well yeah so yeah and you'll 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 get you you'll you'll finish it much faster <laughs> <laughs> than most scorsese movies that, <laughs> that is not an unfair observation uh, all right so join us on the other side of the spoilers spoiler zone so darren what is Infernal Affairs about for you? Um, yeah, I think we 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 spoke a little bit about it. I'll be interesting to hear your kind of comments on the um, the kind of novel position of uh, Hong Kong, kind of politically and culturally. But yes, for me, I think I mentioned a little bit already that it's about the kind of. Um, parts of a person's uh, soul the kind of angel and devil on your shoulder and also the choices you make and the direction the directions that you 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 you, you can choose your own future is yes. a referring motif in this yeah and but 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 also kind of the the idea of kind of i suppose kismet or destiny as well um having it kind of uh, uh planned out for you and may, may, maybe there's a kind of a maybe there is a political message in that as well um you could argue because it did when when it comes to talking about kind of um uh, moral philosophy and uh, talking about kind of political philosophy it's it can be quite um it can be easy to marry the two yeah like but it um speaking of kind of uh parts of the self uh plato's republic when they're um uh, when they're asking the question um of of what is it to be just it um they use the analogy of a of a city state or of a of a republic um in order in order to figure that out so they go macro in order to kind of justify a more micro more personal kind of question yeah yeah in order in order in in order to answer that question for 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 the person and i think i i i mean i i suspect you might have some 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 views about what this means, unless I've unless I've misinterpreted kind of where where um, what do you think this means um, culturally or socioeconomically? But I but I but I um, sorry not to go on uh, too much more. I do think that this is interesting in terms of questioning um, what sort of a person you are. Are you a good person or a or a bad person? 
To, and again, and, like it's, it's very literally phrased in that way. Yeah. At kind of one point, you have a character it's, that yeah, allows. Uh, by the way, we should be very clear. This is an episode where Darren is probably going to do a lot of mispronunciation. Um, but also, not it's that difficult to pronounce. Well, it, 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 it gets feel like the names are are are, are very simple. Like even, even the, the, the cast. Yeah, it's all kind of. Uh, there's a lot of Chens, a lot of Changs, a lot of Changs. Yeah. Um, it is worth noting again this is the thing where there's it's this is directed by alan mack and andrew um lau yeah it stars andy lau and andy lau is playing a character called lau um so when we're talking about lau it kind of it feels oddly appropriate for the movie that we're talking about that we could actually be talking about three different people uh, involved in the film's production right um which is interesting as well but very very briefly before we talk about the personal stuff just to provide a bit of sense of context in terms of hong kong cinema um, Hong Kong cinema, obviously, long, long history in terms of film production. Um, its big heyday was during the 70s when it was home to martial arts cinema. But then even into the 90s like Bruce uh, Lee with Bruce Lee, for example. Chan. Yeah, uh, Jackie Chan in the 90s and the emergence of artists. Well, he, would, he would have come, come the up 80s. with... Uh, Did he come up with Bruce Lee? Yeah, yeah. He, 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 he had been in, um, um, I, I think, a number of uh, Bruce Lee movies. Wow. Okay. Because again, you kind of you forget how old Jackie Chan is. Uh, but again, like in in the nineties, then you had people like John. He's even in Enter the Dragon. I'm, I might Jackie be Chan, mistaken. Okay. Do we do we need to go to the fact? We machine? should probably go to the fact machine. Check. Give me a second. And we're back from the fact machine. Um, it turns out that yes, Jackie Chan did work with Bruce Lee. He worked with him on two different movies. Uh, the first one is Fist of Fury from 1972. And he also had a tiny role um, as a Japanese martial arts student, I believe, in Enter the Dragon in 1973. Excellent. Uh, which is quite phenomenal. So you forget how long he's been around. But basically during the... Yeah, he's he's still... And he's still doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, hunting down Jerry Adams. Yeah. Not, not, not Jerry Adams. Not Jerry clear. Adams. Not Jerry Adams. We absolutely clear. Yeah. <laughs> You meant Airy Gadams, um, but yes, uh, hunting down a Northern Irish politician played by Pierce Brosnan with a beard who may have some involvement Terrific. with past terrorist actions. Sorry, I know we don't do plugs into the, the foreigners. Yeah, check see, this yeah, out. I po- watched this with my family. It's great. <laughs> Uh, the Foreigner on Netflix, uh, by the way, again, full of recommendations for the podcast. But yeah, so basically, so Hong Kong kind of originated, like, its its origins as an international kind of film hub really kicked off in the 70s. In the 90s, you had Jackie Chan sort of coming forward, coming to the fore. You had people like John Woo. And what happened is, and this is kind of interesting, is two things started to happen. First of all, a lot of the industry talent ended up being poached and taken to America. So, like, Jackie Chan, around about the end of the 90s, early 2000s, was popping over to America doing films like, say, Rush Hour, for example. Um, If you remember our summer of 99, several episodes include clips from uh, the trailer for Rush Hour because it was a cultural phenomenon in 1999. But also things like Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights, that sort of stuff as well. There there was the uh, mid to late 90s John Woo. Yes, John Woo phase as well. Um, And again, this is interesting. Yeah, well, yeah. Do you want to know? Like, this is the thing about uh, one of the things that makes this movie so interesting is Alan Mack, who worked on the screenplay and also co-directed the movie, has talked about how the origins of Infernal Affairs, and again, this is one of those great. This is how globalized the film industry is. How it's kind of similar like, to Face Off? It's exactly Face Off. <laughs> it is exactly. He went to the cinema to see Face Off because he was a big John Woo fan, dating back to John Woo's time uh, in Hong Kong cinema. And he went to see Face Off and he was like, this is amazing. But if only we could take the actual like 
face-off part of face-off out of face-off. <laughs> uh, and he was like, yeah, I think we can do it. And, and that's yeah. how he ended up with Infernal Affairs. Oh, wow. Which is, is really, really cool and really great. And again, it, it's... It's funny that it didn't happen the other way around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, it's kind of amazing because it, it, you, you have all that happening there. You have Hollywood poaching... Like, like, take, let's take this simple idea and make it insane. <laughs> yes, and add Nicolas Cage and face surgery to it. Okay. Um, but I kind of... Like, I kind of so love the that. departed also <laughs> wouldn't exist without, without face off. off. Yeah, and again, I kind of like I love that that kind of speaks to the way in which kind of the film industry kind of works in this kind of weird appropriation sort of way because you have Hong Kong poaching John Woo. Yeah, and then you have Hong Kong cinema looking at what or John Hollywood Woo is. poaching John Woo. Yeah, and look, yeah, Hong Kong cinema looking at Hollywood poaching John Woo, and then poaching ideas from Hollywood poach John Woo to. To inject back into itself, which it's, I kind of adore. It's like when we spoke about Kurosawa kind of yeah. taking inspiration from John Ford Westerns and then uh, yeah. the Magnificent Seven. Being itself a riff on kind of yeah. his riff on oh, Westerns. Oh, and, and uh, Yojimbo, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yojimbo and kind of was it a few dollars more or a fistful of dollars. Yeah. And so uh, so, so many um, uh, re, re, remakes, remakes of, of Yojimbo. Well. Yes, yeah. as well. Like Last Man Standing, Walter yeah. Hill's uh, inverted commas classic. Um, <laughs> Starring Bruce Willis um, and Christopher Walken. Whose words were they? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Walter Hill's words, probably. Um, but yeah, and again, like, so you have this kind of thing going Classic on there. Classic Hill. Classic Hill. But also what happened is that Hong Kong cinema went, underwent a massive shift in the late 90s. So 1997, there was a huge downturn uh, in the Asian markets. That made it much harder to finance and produce Hong Kong films. So as a result, uh, with that talent being taken over to America... With the economic downturn, Hong Kong cinematic output cut dramatically in that time as well. And then around about 2002, 2003, the time this movie was released, you also had SARS uh, breaking out as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right too. Uh, now a lot has changed since then. <laughs> yeah, completely different social context. But again, this this gives a sense in which kind of like this was the context in which Infernal Affairs emerged. Infernal Affairs was a much higher budget than a lot of contemporary um, cinema. It was first released by a studio that was primarily known for doing direct-to-video films. Um, it was seen as being a huge economic gambit. Now, to be fair, it did have the good luck or good fortune of having two bankable stars in there. Andy Lau um, is generally regarded as one of the finest um, Hong Kong actors of his generation. There's quite literally a profile of him in the New York Times, which is amazing to read, in large part because it's like, we had a very difficult time convincing Andy Lau that we were worth his time. Um, it's like his the opening quote from him is Andy Lau sits back in a chair and says, it's good to be Andy Lau in Hong Kong, uh, which is one of those great introductions. <laughs> and he's asked about like, would he ever consider going to Hollywood? And he's like, ah, I've been offered a few scripts, but they mostly want me to play gangsters. Why can't I be Spider-Man? Um, and that's really it. That's the end of like Andy Lau's interest in Hollywood. It's You're like not a Spider teenage boy. Yes. Yeah, that's the problem. I suspect. <laughs> um, but I got kind of, like that was the problem with Tobey Maguire, right? Um, but I kind of like I kind of love that like Lau is such a big deal in Hong Kong cinema that he's like American money. Yeah. Why would I want American money? You should like um, should have uh, yeah the the more. There, there are more like Into the Spider Verse is shown as kind of more diverse uh, 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 spider people. So we could definitely have a middle aged uh, um, uh, Hong, <laughs> Hong Kong, Kong Spider Man. Spider Man, well. yeah. Um, it is also worth noting that the the other actor involved as well, who is um, sorry, who is Tony uh, Liang, 
Um, it was also like one of the biggest bankable stars in terms of Hong Kong cinema. He had starred in, again, we mentioned the only other Chinese film on the list, In the Mood for Love um, as well. Had kind of established him as an international kind of actor worth worth watching in terms of reputa- reputation. Oh. Um, notable that he doesn't seem quite as picky as Andy Lau when it comes to roles. You'll be seeing him pop up... Uh, Next year or the year after, um, as the the uh, the Mandarin in uh, Marvel's Shang Chi. Oh wow! Yeah, there there um there is a problem in the first kind of few minutes of this movie, in that they're all in uh, cadet uniforms, and this this isn't the problem that ca- Caucasians have of of um and and of identifying and, um, and, yes, people with from different ethnic groups or backgrounds exactly yeah. because the the this is something that I've noticed when my my brother was a cadet and in his uh, class photo they're all <laughs> in the same uniform wearing the same hat with the and same with the same haircut yeah and with the same expression on <laughs> yeah, their face exactly and i can i find it difficult to find my brother <laughs> in, that <laughs> in, in yeah yeah so but then they um uh, handily after about four three or four minutes um they 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 change kind of you know haircuts and, and costumes uh, and facial, facial hair, hair. yeah to exactly make them very clear and distinguishable from one another and again, this is one of the things about Hong Kong cinema, because you asked, like, in terms of, like, having themes that are specific to Hong Kong. Um, it's been noted that Infernal Affairs was one of the first big Hong Kong blockbusters. Uh, $50 million, uh, 50 million Hong Kong dollars at the, the box office. Uh, it stormed through in December uh, 2002 as well. It was a force of nature. Hey, imagine, um, by the way, phenomenon. if you're, maybe, maybe, maybe if you're from... Well, no, it's probably different with Leonardo DiCaprio and, and uh, uh, Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. But if you're a person, say, who doesn't know <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio or Matt Damon, on the planet, yeah, yeah. May, may, maybe you'll be like, I can't tell <laughs> those two blonde actors apart. <laughs> two blonde, vaguely Irish-American yeah. um, kind of actors apart. Um, and again, like in terms of kind of Hong Kong themes, it's been noted by scholars in Hong Kong uh, but also uh, Manola Darges writing at the uh, New York Times as well, that the theme of duality um, is particularly common in Hong Kong cinema and particularly common in Hong Kong cinema around about the late 90s and early 2000s, around the time of the handover from Britain to China, where you started having the one country, two systems kind of rules in place, where you had this question of whether or not Hong Kong was Chinese or whether it was British and how it existed in this context, like after the handover, because it's still like, despite the fact that China is nominally a communist country, and I say nominally, it is a communist country, uh, but it's also a communist with country. Private with private property. That's it, with private property and with arguably, an, and again, this is... State, state capitalism. Yeah, state capitalism, basically. Uh, but it's also home to companies like HSBC uh, and offshore banking, like in Hong Kong. Like, and keep preserving that was a key part of taking the handover of Hong Kong. And China's always had this difficulty, or Hong Kong's always had this difficulty, being caught between the two. And I mean, you could argue, let's say, the student protests that are happening there at the moment are arguably an expression of that, where you're having this idea of kind of Western, kind of Westernized freedom of speech idea and protest idea coming up against, you know, the, the, the apparatus of the Chinese government, which is much less likely to tolerate those and which is becoming much more heavy handed. Um, and it's been kind of suggested that, like, looking at Infernal Affairs, you could see that sort of duality creeping in. Because even in the film industry around the same time, and again, this is in the context of the Hong Kong film industry in 1997, after the downturn, 
during the handover uh, period as well, they found that it was very difficult to get Hong Kong films into the Chinese market uh, because despite the fact that Hong Kong was technically part of China now, its films were still treated as foreign films by China. Right. Um, and so they were subject to the same quotas that American blockbusters had to compete with. And they found that it was very difficult to squeeze into the market. So in order to get into the market, what they would do is many of these films would become co-productions with China and that would mean involving kind of like remodeling and reworking several of the, you know, their narratives and their themes and their content uh, in order to reflect the sensibilities of the Chinese market and Chinese audiences. And it's notable in the context of this film. Again, we're in the spoiler zone, so we can talk about it. The ending of this film, right, which is the version that we watched, which is the version very similar to the ending of The Departed as well. There was a point at the end where there's a bit of text that provides a little bit of backstory Andrew had to kind of pause and have me explain it to him. And then as I was explaining it to him, he was like, no, 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 it's the ending of The Departed. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, but it's also um, the film had three different endings uh, submitted to Chinese censors. And it's notable that in the version of the of Infernal Affairs that you have watched, if you're watching this or listening to this in China, which is highly unlikely given how much we've just said about the Chinese government. But if you are, you will have noticed that the ending of the film in China actually has, and I kind of adore how ridiculously pandering this is, it is the exact same movie, right? Up until Lao gets into the lift at the end, right? So with the other undercover operative who has like just shot um, Yan and kind of folded the body up into the lift as they're going downstairs. The difference between the two cuts is that when Lao gets out at the bottom of the lift, he finds the Hong Kong police department waiting for him to slap cuffs on him and take him away because, ladies and gentlemen, crime does not pay in Chinese society. Just so we're clear. Yeah. Which I kind of adore as well. I kind of, I don't know how they square that with the two sequels, um, if we're being entirely <laughs> honest. Um, they have alternate beginnings, middle and ends. Uh, but I do find that kind of interesting. And it's been argued that, yeah, that, that theme kind of running through the film is a very Hong Kong-esque kind of theme. And it's very particular to the context of kind of Hong Kong as well. More broadly and i think i don't think this is specifically hong kong kind of theme uh, but it's something that's kind of jumped out at me every time i've watched it and the chinese maybe... versions are prequels <laughs> well yeah um, infernal affairs 2 is actually prequel um, oh really fair, yes to get around this problem <laughs> okay wow <laughs> i should be a film producer <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, again, this gets into the situation we talked about where, like, the, the company's like, this is a massive box office success. Can you give us two sequels in a year? And they're like, yes, but one of our lead characters is dead. It's like, oh, I'm sure you'll find a way out around that. Um, it's like, yeah, one of our lead characters is also arrested in China. It's like, oh, I'm sure you'll find a way around that, too. Uh, but yes, one of them is a prequel. Um, the other one is a sequel, which makes more of a kind of a problem going around it. Uh, but in terms of the, the Hong Kong stuff, and this is something where I wonder if, Maybe I'm reading too much into this, and maybe it's more... Was the third one a sequel to the prequel? <laughs> uh, <laughs> third one was a sequel to both of them, yes. <laughs> okay. um, but I mean, um, in terms of kind of this movie, and in terms of kind of like its Hong Kong-ness, um, I, I absolutely adore Hong Kong. I've been a couple of times. I love it. It is a massive, sprawling city, um, and it's one of those cities that never sleeps. I've come in on red-eye flights. Uh, one of my trips to Hong Kong, which is one of my most, you know memorable business trips ever involved me flying in to meet a client at 10 a.m on friday morning literally arriving off the plane to the meeting uh working in the place that i was working over the weekend coming in at 2 a.m on sunday morning uh, because the market's open in sydney then 
being in the office from 2 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then traveling from 6 p.m. straight to the airport to catch the flight back to uh, London, uh, which is remarkable. That's that is jet lag, basically, is what that is. But my my experience of that weekend trip was that I was not awake when other people were. I was awake in the middle of the night. I was up from like three to four in the morning, kind of wandering around looking for, you know, pharmacies or kind of like shopping, you know, shopping centers or kind of like little groceries where I could buy food that I could eat. (laughs) Yes. And randomly bumping into ex-girlfriends who had kids who were suspiciously the same age as, you know, our relationship was, but we'll get into that later. Uh, But, you know, Hong Kong is uh, a city that kind of really does feel vibrant and alive. And one of the things that I think the film captures about that city for me, and it's arguably something that's true of every big city, but it's the sense of anome. Uh, it's the sense of anonymity. It's the sense of the city being so big and so sprawling and so full of people that you can randomly bump into people who are hugely important to you, who are hugely significant and who are connected to you through six degrees of separation and never even realize that. And you have that happen throughout, like during that montage you mentioned with the cadets. Yeah. Like you have uh, Lau repeatedly like arresting Yan. Like he's loading the suspects into vans. He's kind of, he's, I think he does load Yan in once or twice when you see him with the mugshot. I think Yan escapes a couple yeah. of times, but he does load him into the van once or twice. They bump into one another. Again, the opening scene. Do you ever have that experience in, like we, we both lived in uh, Sligo, where I think this is kind of most relevant, but where you get to know somebody, say at a party or, um, at a like a cinema night or talking to them or actually introduce and then you see them everywhere yeah yeah but you know you also saw them all the time before you knew them you just didn't recognize who they were yeah and and again that that kind of that's that's a small town phenomenon but a, a big town phenomenon like again this this kind of i really it does really feel like a sense of story about isolation at least to me uh, cuz again you have this sense of Yan and Lau and that wonderful opening scene, the, the wonderful opening scene, which I love with the speaker system, where, you know, Lau goes in to buy a speaker for his fancy middle class home. And again, it's been noted that uh, in terms of Hong Kong cinema, uh, Infernal Affairs apparently represented a shift uh, away from the working class in terms of the people it was portraying on screen. Uh, it's notable that Lau, for example, has like that epitome of middle class sort of, uh, you know, values. He actually has an apartment uh, yeah. in Hong Kong. Uh, which is kind of the immediate sort of like this man is going places and kind of vaguely upper crossed as well. But like you have that sequence where he's buying a stereo system for the apartment and he bumps into to Yan and the two of them sit down. They have a conversation about the stereo system, the quality of the sound. Lau recommends using a different wire for kind of like feedback in order to get better quality sound. Yan instead then recommends that he buys kind of the hub of the speaker here, but then buys the actual speakers, uh, the, the hub of the sound system there, but buys the speakers uh, in a different shop as well. And then at the end of it, it turns out that Yan doesn't even work in the shop. Um which is, is kind of like one of those great, really odd moments that you shared with somebody who you, you know, would likely never have met before, likely will never meet again, and have no understanding of who they are or what your relationship to them is. And I kind of, that kind of runs throughout this. And again, this is that thing where you can tie it into that sense of duality of man, where the sense is, are we anonymous? You know, that you have Lau's wife talking about how, you know, she doesn't know whether... The it's very on the nose. It is very, very on the nose. Isn't it? Like, as the camera focuses on Lau, as she's saying, and I don't know whether this character is a good person or a bad person. 
and maybe only they know who they are. As the camera can sense, there is much less of that in in the Departed, and I think that reflects what I think is Scorsese's um, uh, kind of bleak. Um, uh, out, 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 outlook at times. Yeah, we don't have like, to. You, you don't have like, to ask whether you're a good or bad person because we know you're a bad. Person. Yeah, and funny. The funny thing about Scorsese movies is that they're um bleaker than kind of most movies you could think of, but also kind of more humane. Yeah, I think I think we we drew comparisons recently between um uh, uh Scorsese and some other. Um, uh, film fil- filmmaker, where where I forget I forget who it was, <laughs> but where there were more kind of laughs in the likes of Goodfellas, but it was also kind of um a a a worse um kind populated of de- by worse people depiction of, of humanity. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think was probably the point of comparison. Was he? No, it might have been. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, and again, this is again like not not to derail too much and talk about Scorsese. This is one of the interesting things about the relationship between the Departed and this is where this has that as you. I don't think it was PTA. I know it probably wasn't actually, but I mean, um, do you want to listen to our three and a half hour uh, <laughs> Irishman podcast to figure out which one that was? Um, but no, I mean, what's interesting though about and it kind of like not to not to labor the Scorsese connections too much, but like you're you're right that the Departed kind of skips that. Are you a good cop or a bad cop? Kind of like a moral dilemma, sort of soul-searching stuff. But it's also, strangely enough, kind of feels more rigidly moral in that, like, it's well, notable it, that, it, like... It, it, what it does instead, I think, is it addresses the kind of... Um, um, another another um, uh, 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 platonic uh, kind of theme of is it better to be good and um appear evil um or to be evil and appear good yeah yeah like like if 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 you could if you could do evil but um but no one nobody would know which 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 is which we which is more kind of the um I think uh, where where the departed is because everybody looks at Matt Damon's character and and um, sees how virtuous he is exactly. Where whereas um, the the DiCaprio is is um, seen as like everybody hates Trappy, including <laughs> including the people he works with. Him yeah, for. like Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Irrationally. Well, again, that, that's... Mark Wahlberg hates a lot of people in that movie, <laughs> yeah. though. Everybody in that movie. Uh, but again, and this is the weird thing where, again, I don't want to draw too much on it or read too much into it, but it does feel almost kind of like that Catholic thing, which is like that, that Catholic thing that runs through Scorsese's work, which is, you know, what happens if you think God's not watching? You know, sort of like, is God watching? And like, does the way that you change, does the way you thinking that God's watching change your behavior? But what's interesting about the way that with, the way in which, say, The Departed isn't as overt in the, uh, you know, he, only he knows if he's a good person or a bad person, is that despite stripping that stuff out, um, The Departed offers a much cleaner and kind of more morally judgmental kind of conclusion 
in that the Mark Wahlberg character who you mentioned has yeah. no no reference point here, no antecedent here. Uh, but he pops up at the end of The Departed in order to brutally execute Matt Damon's character. Spoiler the alert for the movie. With the, yeah, with the, with the wonderful little gloves. The and the, blue, the, yeah. the blue. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, but he shows up at the That's end. That's the way I want to go. Executed <laughs> by Mark Wahlberg wearing wanna, his little COVID-19 friendly sort of yeah, like quarantine like slip-ons at yeah, the yeah. door and find Mark Wahlberg <laughs> waiting there for you. Um, what what are you planning to do with all this sanitization <laughs> material? Um, but yeah, but like uh, the department. Like, hey, Mark, do you do you have a dog? You have a little Shih Tzu, <laughs> or um, what? Or a little Bichon Freeze? What are all these newspapers doing in your apartment? Do you like the music <laughs> of um, of Huey Lewis and the news? <laughs> call it friendo um but yeah i mean again this is the thing where like the departed ironically has a clearer moral judgment at its end with that sequence because that sequence basically allows you to believe that matt damon's character doesn't get off the hook so to speak as opposed to he does indeed as opposed to this movie which ends on a and again it's a weird note because you know there's a sense in which lao has got the chinese version yeah (laughs) except the chinese version um I like the, the the cop who arrests him in the Chinese version is the Mark Wahlberg character, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, like, Lao, Lao kind of gets off and his punishment is more existential because you have that quote from the Buddha about how living in continuous kind of, like, paranoia, living in continuous suffering is hell, basically. And we're meant to read from that that, like, who really suffered most? Um, is it Yan who got shot through the head and is now dead and therefore relieved of any human suffering? Or is it Lao, who did not get shot through the head, has a beautiful wife who may or may not have left him, a lovely apartment, a high-profile, high-paying job, and a successful future kind of waiting for him in the Hong Kong Police Department, but feels really bad about this, maybe. Uh, Which is kind of an interesting angle. It's a much more ambiguous ending, I think, than the American version, anyway. Yeah. Plus, it only matters whether that you've done bad things if if you're somehow like uh, deposed or exposed. Yeah. Well, that, that, <laughs> like, like, like the the um this week, I actually that will date the podcast a wee bit, but at some point <laughs> recently, uh, Putin um extended his uh his rule. To basically, yeah, to, one step closer to, to prime minister or president for life. Doesn't yeah, it? to to twenty thirty six. I reckon, <laughs> seemingly, some of the reason behind that is that, like, if they were to leave office, then they might have people in charge who might want to go after them for all the terrible criminal things they've done. <laughs> And you see it like in. I love in, that you say that like it's a Wizard of Oz things because of the terrible criminal things, things he's done. done. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, you see it in 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 other countries as well. Like the the um with uh Bin Benjamin uh, Netanyahu um doesn't doesn't want to not be prime minister anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, because he may face uh, yeah. presumably human rights. Yeah, yeah well, the, and like he knows that it 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 could very well happen because the same thing happened to Emmett Olmert and um and to to this this so so the 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 idea for Lao is just to kind of continue onwards and <laughs> upwards <laughs> and never stop because if he does, he may face consequences. Exactly, for his actions. there's no retirement for him. <laughs> However, um, and again, like this is worth noting, um. 
um, in terms of like Chinese, uh, and particularly because again, the, the reason why that that ending was changed was also because of the political ramifications of it, because they didn't want uh, Chinese audiences to lose faith in their institutions of government and believe that maybe the you know chief police officers and high profile, high ranking officials were actually secretly criminals. Uh, but it is notable in terms of a number of interesting but developments. That's it's one of the one of the kind of characteristics of authoritarian governments is paranoia about how those are perceived. Yeah, about how yeah. they're perceived. And again, it's notable that a real life version of the thriller was actually playing out at the same time uh, in the province of uh, an apologies Xinzi uh, in China. Which is apparently, according to my research, a notoriously corrupt region, in large part due to its lightly regulated coal production industry. Uh, but what was discovered that uh, over a period of several years, 15 young gangsters infiltrated the municipal police force, beginning as academy recruits at the behest of local ringleader Feng the Swallow Zai Chun, helping fellow members of the Swallow Gang escape the law on at least 18 separate occasions as they rose through the, the ranks. So I kind of, I kind of love that there's a there's a true life account of kind of like you prove of that. I, I okay, fine. <laughs> not not at this podcast no, is going to no. get released in China. I don't. Um, but I kind, I kind of, and again, you you have that kind of like blurring of boundaries as well. It's notable that like at the same time these protests are happening in Hong Kong. Apparently, the, the Chinese government has like turned to the triads. Uh, for enforcement. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I saw that. Them, them being beaten up uh, protesters, protesters on their way back. Yeah, as well. Like, and actually having that allegedly. relationship. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we're not going to crack the market this time. <laughs> no, I, think. I don't think so. <laughs> but no, the S reports that the Chinese government had actually conscripted triad criminal gangs. And yeah. I'm sorry, I know we shouldn't laugh. This is a terrible story. It's like absolutely horrific. Uh, but is. like actually recruiting uh, criminal gangs in order to victimize, but, bully, like, and kind lo- of like suppress a lo- a lot, public a lot, a lot of this, A lot of these horrific things are um, like absurd yeah. and um, kind of very kind of rich in irony and open yeah. for satire yeah. yeah like the 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 putin thing as well it was it was incredible it was valentina tereshkova said uh why does everything have to be so difficult um we're we're we're, we're living in such uncertain times wouldn't it be better for all of us if we were um, ruled by Putin for a little bit longer. Like, should should he have to go in twenty twenty four or whenever it is? People are saying, yeah. I mean, you have a point, but we, shouldn't we ask him first? <laughs> and then he walks through the door, <laughs> like it was all kind of uh, stage. stage produced. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course amazing. It was. Yeah, uh-huh. but it's ridiculous, and everyone is kind of like cheering, like it's the Bachelor or something. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, to be fair, you do know that Putin has his own line of like uh, judo videos. You can oh, learn yeah. judo from well, him he, as well. He's he's uh, he's quite an accomplished judoka. Yep, and he also um, that, that again, you're talking about stage managing as well, stage managing as well, and authoritarian leaders. That sequence where he saved but a it, bunch it's, of reporters from the tiger. It's not. Yeah, it's not like it's not like the way. Uh, 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 um, Western belt it's the, it, No, it's not like the way um, Kim. Um, uh, yeah, it's not like the way Kim Jong-un is really good at golf. <laughs> um, I think Putin is actually decent at, at judo. <laughs> oh, fair point. Uh, but, uh, and yeah, uh, it is actually, and, and but look, let's talk a little bit, um, 
while we're talking about Hong Kong, actually, let's talk about the way the film looks because it looks absolutely gorgeous. It has this. Speaking beautiful... of people who've killed people, <laughs> let's go back to the characters in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice segue. Thank you for that, Andrew. Uh, but it, it does. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Cinematography is beautiful. And again, this is the thing where, and I think one of the reasons why I think. Like, again, one of the issues with movies when they're adapted, and we've done it a couple of times in this podcast as well, is that there's a tendency to compare movies to their adaptations, to compare The Seven Samurai to The Magnificent Seven and stuff like that, yeah. or to compare Yojimbo to, you know, uh, A Fistful of Dollars and stuff like that. One of the reasons why I think that kind of like The Departed and this movie can coexist, Infernal Affairs can so- coexist, is because they feel markedly different from one another. And you kind of alluded to it earlier when you said that... Different cultural contexts. Different cultural contexts as well, but even different looks and textures. Like, you mentioned earlier The Departed is a much more kind of human film. It's a much warmer film. It's kind of got a lot more emotion in it, arguably. Yeah, strangely, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think... Because it also has that very kind of bleak... Moral outlook to a certain Yeah. Yeah. Terrible people doing terrible things to one another, but it's okay because most of them will die. Um... Which isn't, you know, that's... Yeah. yeah, but it's the idea that it's 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 a it's a it's a world where kind of yeah, where 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 these people will will, will you know, just you know, slit your throat. Yeah, kind of um, yeah. But again, one of the things that I really like about this movie in particular is the way that it arguably looks more like a Michael Mann movie. Um, it does. It does. It's very sharp. Because it's got this, like, it's all blues and greys and it's all these slick surfaces, mirrors and reflective windows, lots of meetings on rooftops oh, rooftop as well. panning. Yeah, lots of rooftop panning. And kind of these, these wonderful wide shots of characters on rooftops pointing guns at one another as well. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's, and again... Well, this... that's a John Woo thing, is <laughs> pointing guns at each other. On roofs. Um, <laughs> well, again, this is one where Alan Mack talked about when he was making the movie, he had to constantly fight with financiers. Oh, yeah, double guns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he, had to, he, he said Double that when he, wielding, <laughs> pointing guns at each other. No doves in this movie either, unfortunately. <laughs> but one of the things that like Alan Max talked about when he was making the movie was that he would constantly have to deal with financiers who would like ask him to do things like include. Can you include a kung fu sequence, for example? Yeah. Uh, can you include a bit, a few more action sequences? So the Chinese version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think that actually, like, I think the movie holds up really well because it, it, it avoids those cliches, but it, it really gives a sense of space and a sense of scale. Its framing is absolutely beautiful. There's those shots of, like, when Yan is sitting on the roof when he's calling Lao, and you have him framed so he's up in the top, like, left-hand corner, but it's almost like the city around him has kind of swallowed him up. You have those establishing shots of kind of Hong Kong streets, even in the opening credits, which give a sense of how packed and how confined and how sort of like overpopulated uh, the region is and kind of how densely populated all these people are despite being strangers to one another. You have, and again, this is one of the things where it would seem absurdly on the nose and heavy-handed, and probably is if we're being frank, but it's just so stylish enough that it works. Where you have those sequences of characters walking across rooftops with their reflections, you know, in the windows of the sleek skyscrapers next door, which is one of those, you know, it's... A commentary on how actually people are just projecting themselves they only ever see themselves through windows what is the self but the reflection as seen through the lens of society but it also just looks really cool and again it also taps into that sense of kind of like hong kong as a city that is once large and anonymous so you have these buildings which are presumably packed full of workers because those skyscrapers aren't empty but the windows are like so blank and so reflective that you can't see into them but more to the point you have people holding clandestine meetings in transparent view of these windows 
but without any sense that they're compromised or without any sense that they'll be seen or without any view that they shouldn't be conducting clandestine business like reflected in those office windows because nobody cares like he says uh why do you um uh why do you um uh informants um insist on meeting on rooftops insist on meeting on rooftops he says we're not afraid of the the light like you and it's like well he's should be <laughs> but based on what we've seen so far in this film yeah. that seems to be a key oversight on your part yeah yeah um, i mean I, in fact like um he is quite indiscreet <laughs> he, yeah, yeah 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 he'll walk around like loudly talking on the phone yeah <laughs> about what he's doing but also even like things like the tapping on the window and stuff like that rather conspicuously it's like well we figured out somebody's sending a morse code signal it's like well nobody else was near any type of surface where you could tap it's it's like, a, yeah, I mean the, poli- the 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 police chief or the guy running CID, um, Wong is it? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, it is Wong. Um, is doing it quite discreetly. It seems <laughs> like almost more secret, uh, discreetly, discreetly than, than Yan is operating with the password that is Morse code for undercover. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, but, it's password, but with a capital P. <laughs> password but spelt using only dots and dashes only two keys i'm not sure it's the most secure password imaginable um but again like i really really like that aspect because it's really sleek really stylish it all has this kind of bluey kind of gray tint and you have these wonderful shots where like the sky which looks blue is almost indistinguishable from the skyscrapers which are just reflecting that blue back and it kind of it really creates a sense of the city as and again this is that michael mann thing as an environment that is you know maybe hostile to people where you have even that sequence where Lau is you know out playing golf and like there's nowhere to hit golf balls except out into the ocean but over the other side of the ocean there's all these kind of skyscrapers as well it's just it's this wonderfully kind of suffocating environment which I really really like and again all those wonderful shots of cars driving through tunnels and kind of like through windscreens with the light reflected in them as well I, I no, just really like balls into the bay but they're, yeah. they're not gonna go no uh, that far they're not, yeah, yeah. yeah no no um <laughs> No, nobody in this movie plays golf as well as Kim Jong Un. To be absolutely clear, <laughs> um, but yeah, and you I know, he, he played uh, eighteen holes where he got a hole in one in in every hole. I'm waiting for like in a couple of years he'll get that down. He'll be able to do a full round on seventeen shots. I guarantee yeah. you. Um, but uh, the film just looks really, really gorgeous. And again, it's it's wonderfully framed, and all the shots are kind of wonderfully composed as well with the actors. Um, and again, it uses its location really, really well. We talked last week. We talked about um, the Invisible Guest or Contratempo, which is you know set around Barcelona, but could be any city in the world. And you know, part of the reason we said that was because it's so sleek, it's so stylish, lots of glass surfaces. What's interesting about this is that it it is just as sleek and stylish, but I don't think it could be anywhere in the world but Hong Kong. I think that like it has a sense of texture and place to it that I, I really 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 like about it and again this was my first time watching it since i'd been in hong kong and it was kind of like yep yeah, i i recognize this city as a place distinct from you know the way that you you know new york uh by like just having watched new york on film you almost toronto. kind of have a yeah toronto in yeah, fair point um, atlanta now um <laughs> but you know the way like you know these american cities so well because they're featured so heavily in movies and so you get a sense of place i really like that like I watched this and I was like, no, this this feels like when I was in Hong Kong, uh, which is, is again, remarkable. And I, I really, really like that aspect of the film. But uh, just in terms of talking about the more personal stuff, because we, we've notably talked around the kind of personal stuff. Um, so, like, 
food waste. <laughs> that two fifty trope. Yeah. There 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 is that scene where he's really enjoying his uh his, oh his, 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 his dinner simple. and it looks like they ordered for like everybody each <laughs> in the ordered gag, one yeah. thing yeah. but sam he, gets to eat sam all of gets the food all of the food because he's the boss I, yeah by the way, i and love then, sam the, he's brilliant sam he, he knocks over all 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 that food it's a real shame yeah um, while throwing a little temper tantrum, it's gr- it's a great it scene. It'll kill him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really great scene. The, the thing about Sam is that again, it's to, not to contrast it with the Jack Nicholson performance in The Departed, but Sam really comes across as as a, like a a psychotic baby that somehow has found himself running a crime organization. Part of this is just his stature because he's always the shortest person in the scene. He's kind of a little bit chubby and he kind of like, he smiles a lot as well. He seems to kind of like just soak in and seems generally kind of pleasant and demeaning and then has a pleasant demeanor. And then every once in a while, something will get under his skin and he will throw this massive tantrum. Because like one of the things I love about that scene with the food waste is that like you can tell going into it sounds like, watch this guys, I have all the cards. I'm going to be upper hand. I'm going to get so under Wong's skin. I'm going to annoy him so much. I'm going to be in complete control of this situation. He's like, so, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd have some dinner here. We don't talk much anymore. Huh, shame you can't arrest me. Isn't that right? And literally the We're first... We're made to come here empty-handed. Yeah. yeah, and then literally the first thing that Wong says to him is, uh, yeah, shame you lost all that cocaine. And Sam's like, well, that was out of bounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it's was like... unprofessional. Yeah, you you lost thousands of of, of dollars tonight. It's like I was going to buy. A, I was going to put put down a deposit on a car, a reasonably priced car. Damn you! <laughs> now you can't have any. I ordered for all of us, but now you can't have any. Yeah. Um. But I kind of I really like that aspect about the movies. Like, and again, Sam is just such a fascinating character. And large, like, and you get that sequence at the end where when the um, and again, the movie does this really well with it, really great use of cell phones in this movie. Yeah. Really, really great use of kind of mobile phones, and particularly in terms of ratcheting up suspense as well. Because you get that sequence earlier on where you see like. That, we saw that uh, we saw that last week in Contra Tiempo. Yeah, we had a similar sort of sequence as well with the suspense and the ringing phone. Here you have a sequence where, like, during that wonderful crackerjack sequence where the two of them are kind of playing chess against one another, where it's like he's listening to the frequency, but he realizes he's listening to the frequency, so he calls it off, but then he manages to get the location to the bay, but then that's okay because, and again, this is one of those wonderful Anome kind of like everybody's anonymous in Hong Kong, how Lau manages to tip Sam off to the fact that the cops know where he is, is by sending a message to every cell phone in an urban district that says they know destroy or the deal is off or whatever. Um, and everybody in the district receives that message. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a really kind of odd sequence because it underscores how random and surreal and alien living in the city actually is. Um, you mean you've never received a random text message telling you that the cops are onto you? Destroy the merchandise? Well, like it wasn't random. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Um, but but I mean, again, again, I kind of like the aspect that like the city is so large and so vast that even this kind of intimate personal message ends up going out to you know dozens and dozens of people, but only one of whom can make sense of it as well. But like the the cutting back and forth, but the ringing a cell phone, like the moment where Sam picks up the phone and rings. And the ring, and the cell phone goes off in the kind of like police in the place where they're kind of like doing their surveillance. 
They do a nice little jump there as well. Or the moment where at the end where Lau... In the parking uh, garage. In the parking garage, which is astounding. The sequence where like... Um, Sam. Sam, yeah, stumbles out of the car, um, down a couple of steps, into the car park. Obviously he hasn't figured out that he's been betrayed, but he rings the phone. And then in this big empty car park, you get the echoing sound of the ring. And it's just, it's a beautiful sequence. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's wonderfully, wonderfully well constructed. It's a fantastically put together film. I really, really love it. Um, but in terms of, of other stuff, in terms of uh, kind of the film itself, in terms of Yan and Lau, in terms of the duality. Inappropriate smoking, just to say. Oh, there is. And even Lau objects to the inappropriate smoking as well. Yeah. Kind of opens the door and fans the air out as well, <laughs> um, which I really, really like. Um, and again, the the interesting thing, yeah, Lau is... It's it's interesting because Matt Damon's character in The Departed, I really just He's one of the most kind of odious co-protagonists in a movie in a, in a, you know, that I've, I've ever seen. Very likable in the world of the, the film. film. Yeah, you, you can see how charming he's being, but you know that that makes him worse. Yeah, so like, yeah, yeah, you don't really, you don't, you don't, you don't root for him. Yeah. At um, all. And, and somehow he's, because of the betrayal that he's committing, as you point out, it's somehow worse. Lau here, I, I actually find interesting because he comes across as so cold and detached and kind of numb he doesn't seem to have that warmth that Damon puts on he just seems very kind of like you have Yan who is clearly falling up to pieces under the pressure of what he's been asked to do because again he's been asked to beat people up you see blood splattering as he's beating people in the montage you see him snorting cocaine from the Thai gangsters at the start by the way they don't have a chemist (laughs) (laughs) they have a guy who takes cocaine I imagine the more they take cocaine, the more inured they become to it. So yeah. it's like... The quality kind of goes down yeah. over time. If this is good to him, <laughs> then it must be really, really good. Imagine yeah. how much we can cut this. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and I... Step but, on that. <laughs> but you have like... So you have like Yan who's like falling apart and falling to pieces under this. And I kind of like that in contrast, you have like Lau, who has simply kind of turned himself into a sort of a robot. Where there's no real sense of kind of a similar level of dysfunction to him. It's just cold emptiness, kind of like this almost kind of psychopathic sheen to what he's doing. And I kind of find that performance for, for Mandy Lau quite striking. I think both the leads are fantastic here. I really like um, uh, Leung, who's Tony Leung, who plays uh, Yan, even though it's probably the more showy performance. But I really like Lau as Lau, um, which I think is very good as well. And I like the way in which the film kind of contrasts the two, uh, where you have like Yan falling to pieces, but you have Lau kind of holding it together. Like again, he 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 doesn't fall to pieces the extent to which DiCaprio does. No, no. like in in the way that only I guess DiCaprio can, or like Nicolas Cage would as well, but in a different way. Yeah, Yeah, but Leonardo DiCaprio implodes. Nicolas Cage explodes. Uh Yeah, you say kind of like the Yang is is the showier part, but it's a. it's 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 on the more kind of subtle uh, end of the of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. In comparison to um, what we get in the departed with with both. Yeah, the re- really meaty kind of for yeah. both of them. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it is worth noting actually in terms of kind of thematic stuff. Actually, I really like the and again, this is something that was probably quite striking to me when I was only a kid watching this. Um, the kind of the, the Hong Kong cinema tropes of it, the sequences where you get like the freeze frames, yeah, and the yeah. slow motions and the cuts. To and black how and do white. you feel about all that sort of stuff? Because like, um, I find that stuff kind of kind of lame, um, but. 
I suppose maybe you can develop a sort of uh, um, um, like it, it can a have an or... yeah, it like, can like have an endearing quality. If, yeah, yeah. Eventually, yeah, yeah. it just becomes numbing. <laughs> no, I, I actually I kind of liked it. I think that as a kid, I liked it because it felt. And again, this is when oh, it's century it's like slow motion and they play a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a really sad, mournful kind of pop song over yeah. it as well. Um, and again, like. I, I really, really kind of like that stuff because it feels like a different cinematic language than we're used to in Hollywood. Right. Where in Hollywood, you get more kind of insert shots and more close-ups. In fact, I was actually like noticed like one of the things that you see during several of the sequences, you don't get a lot of close-ups uh, on characters in the middle of big action sequences here. So for example, when Sam goes to the warehouse because he has to change the lock, when the police pull out of nowhere... You don't really see, you don't get a close-up or an insert shot of Sam in the back of the car realizing what's going on until after the police have kind of like hopped out in the car, taken guns out and kind of shot at one of the cars. So you don't really get that same sort of level of kind of like, it doesn't, the film doesn't communicate that way in the way that kind of like Hollywood productions do in terms of signposting character reactions or using character reaction shots in the same way. And I kind of, I like the sense that this is a different sort of cinematic language where to communicate a similar idea, which is, you know, how a character is emotionally responding to a beat. Instead of doing a simple close-up reaction shot, you get a freeze frame cut to black and white, a little bit of note of a mournful song over it as well. Uh, or maybe even kind of like quick cuts or quick inter, you know, sort of jumps back and forth between characters jumping forward in time, which feels like a, a different way that kind of, you know, a different way of communicating a core plot or thematic point than a, than a Hollywood film would do. Again, part of me wonders if maybe I'm exoticizing this a little bit. Maybe I'm being like, well, it's different, so obviously it's good. But I do, I like, I liked it as a teenager. I thought it was fresh and interesting as a piece of visual language. And even now, as somebody who has not watched, it's like, um, oh yeah, the it's the way tapas works is it comes whenever it's ready and there's small plates. It's like, well, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like my I want it all to come at once. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's a question of which of the two of us is being unreasonable uh, in this situation. No, I, I, I don't I, mind tapas, but <laughs> Andrew comes out hard against tapas on the podcast. Um, but no, I. I <laughs> It I can be a I, thing I, where it's like, don't you understand this? Like, no, I do understand it. I just don't like I'm it. I'm aware that it's different. <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs> it's different and wrong. Uh, but I, I do kind of like that aspect of it as as well. Yeah. I do think there is, like, I do think that there are problems with it. And again, part of me wonders if this is down to that sort of cinematic language, because perhaps it's taken to the extreme. I think you alluded to this before we got into the spoiler zone. Yeah. Um, there are sequences where the movie tries to land emotional beats and they don't quite work as well as the movie seems to intend them to. I am thinking in particular of the sequence towards the climax where after blackmailing Lau, Yan goes to visit his psychiatrist um, yeah. and spends the night possibly with her. Are we to intuit that they have sex uh, from the sequence where he leaves her a little handwritten note? It's very sexless even though... movie. Yes, yes it is. I mean, yeah. even the sequence where Lau you know, jokes about, well, we've broken in the new bed... He's wearing his pajamas. She's his girlfriend's wearing her pajamas. It's like, do you mean you slept in the bed? Is is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um. And again, it it very made. Yeah. Bed. <laughs> um, and and both of them have perfect hair as well. Um, yeah. And are kind of fully night clothes as well. And a similar thing happens with the psychiatrist, where it's like. Would it be okay if I go back to your office? And then you you know the two of them and there's a kind of like sweet music playing, but she's fully clothed. And reading a note from him that says, um, remember who I am. 
And it's like, wait, did, are remember we to intuit my from, secret? Yeah, remember my secret. Are we to to intuit from that that he just like wrote her a note and left, or did they have sex and did she fall asleep and did he leave a note and then she got dressed? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But like, did, yeah, did did she get dressed and then read the note that he left her? Like the, again, is there? It is that weird sexlessness that you mentioned that kind of runs through the film. And it feels like it's a rather kind of unearned kind of character beat. Because again, in I'm hesitant to continuously mention The Departed as a point of contrast. But at least Fira Famega's psychologist character, or psychiatrist character there, feels like she's an important part of the plot. She feels well-developed. She feels yeah. like she has a function. Uh, whereas the, the, the psychiatrist here just seems to exist... You could lose. You could take her out and just have la. Uh, sorry, have Yan mentioned that he started seeing a psychiatrist, and it would serve the same function because she has, I think, two key scenes. One early on where she's playing solitaire and has that short conversation with him, and then one later on where he demands to see her at the uh, end. Yeah, it feels like in this filmmaking, they feel like they've they've done kind of you know what enough. they need to do. Yeah, yeah with this. like and uh, the and that there is the I um feel it's 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 like what's what now well, maybe i'm being unfair because i'm not like an expert or anything like that but it feels very kind of um um you know exercised this um uh those particular beats it, yeah. feel, it, it, it feels like they're 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 kind of like oh she is the emotional core of this <laughs> She has two scenes. That's enough. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how much more do you want? Uh, I think but we can cut it, it down to one if we try. Yeah, but that it doesn't really kind of Land. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, she doesn't feel like a, a fully formed character. Us. And again, yeah. and maybe, and again, this is the thing where Lau's girlfriend arguably gets a bit more to do, but she serves the same function where she's arguably there to illustrate that Lau is a deeply conflicted person. Um, you know, this man with twenty-eight personalities, and Lau actually asks, you know, did you base him on me? In case yeah. you don't get that, and the he very you know labored, heavy-handed conversations about like, whether I... her protagonist is a good man or not, and how that's meant to reflect on Lau. And again, I think it works better with Lau and his girlfriend, at least because she's present in more scenes, and you get a sense of her being important in the film. But more than that, you get a sense of the lack of emotional connection between the two of them being a thematic point, because you have that sequence with his executive, with the board, uh, when he's kind of out playing golf. And the guy hitting the golf ball is like, you should get married soon because married men proceed up the ranks quicker. And from that, you can intuit that like Lau doesn't have a girlfriend because he feels a particular emotional attachment to her. He has a girlfriend because that's a thing that people who want to progress in his profession do. And that explains why when you're watching them. That's why I do it. <laughs> we love Andrew's girlfriend on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> we're very happy. Um, but um it it does feel kind of very much like the lack of emotional connection in Lau's relationship with his girlfriend makes a great deal more sense than the kind of like lack of connection with the psychiatrist uh, in Yan's storyline. If that does that make sense? Kind of getting... Yeah, yeah, I uh, think so. You'll appreciate this, by the way. Why? Well, actually, Tell I me. I will appreciate this. I'm going to appreciate this. Um, I like puns. I like puns I, when they're in... How do I know? Like, I just knew that that's what it was going to be. Is this... Is specifically, you like rubbish puns. Is I this like a rubbish, rubbish pun? This is a rubbish pun. And it's a rubbish pun in Cantonese, which makes it extra worthwhile. I'm going to try and read it out, and I apologize to any Chinese listeners. It's like or... the world's funniest joke. <laughs> um, Canada. Ha ha ha. 
I want to tell you a joke about two men who want a kidney. Oh, yes. And it, I'm like, Wong, what, what's the joke here? What, I don't get the punchline. It feels more like a parable than a joke, really. Maybe you need to work on your tight five. I mean, Sam's got a lot of food there. You can maybe build up a bit more to the point you're making. Uh, but yes, sorry, the, the pun that I absolutely adore here. The psychiatrist's name is Lee Sum uh, Yi, uh, which is apparently a homophone in Cantonese for your psychiatrist. I kind of adore that. Uh, and it's actually been suggested, and this is kind of interesting, given how small the role is and how much we both kind of see it as being an oddity as something that doesn't quite fit with the rest of the film. But it's been suggested that the box office success of um, Infernal Affairs has actually encouraged men in Hong Kong to uh, be more open about therapy. Um, in the recent years, or in the early 2000s, um, Chinese men actually started going to therapy more regularly. And in larger numbers. And I would suggest that one of the cultural forces that was responsible for that was this movie, which is, is quite interesting. I'm wanting to get a girlfriend. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good strategy. That's how this works, right? I just sleep on your couch and you play solitaire. And then possibly we, we have sex, but it happens off camera. Oh, and yeah. I leave you a note. Like, uh, in, like the dentist. Yeah, dentists or or optometrists or anybody who who is like like that close to your face is like, are they into me? <laughs> I'm very bad at reading social signals. It turns yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Like this much eye contact. <laughs> heavy, heavy eye contact as well. Um, in terms of actually, just in terms of kind of the film technique and stuff like that, it's interesting how Scorsese's movie The Departed is very heavily invested in this idea of masculinity. Um, in particular, say the idea that uh, Whitey Bulger or Jack Nicholson's character based on Whitey Bulger, you know, has never produced an heir, for example. But even say Matt Damon's character, uh, for example, is repeatedly stressed to be impotent um, throughout it as well. And it's heavily implied that Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a real man because he possibly gets a psychiatrist, uh, Matt Damon's wife, pregnant uh, after one night sleeping together. It's interesting how Infernal Affairs plays with similar ideas but in a much broader and much less specific sort of way uh it's notable that after wong dies for example which is a great sequence absolutely love the sequence where um and again it's done very well in the department as well but the sequence where uh yan is getting the taxi around the front of the kind of hotel and he's about to go in and then the body oh, yeah. lands taxi and... driver isn't <laughs> by the way in dublin it's going to be like no sorry yeah. Um, I'll leave the meter running. Oh, I'm um, sorry, Darren. Not all taxi drivers. <laughs> um, yes, yes. I have several family members who are taxi drivers, but they don't listen to the podcast, so it's absolutely fine. Um, but again, I kind of love that the, the sequence where he lands on the roof. But after that, you get this really, really surreal um, kind of, and again, Hong Kong kind of cinema yeah. dad montage um, where like it reminds me, have you seen the movie Onward? Uh, no, it's just out, isn't it? It is indeed. There's a sequence. I mean, just out a few weeks ago. <laughs> There's a sequence in Onward where a character kind of remembers. It's the Pixar movie. It is the Pixar movie. And it is a lot about dad. Isn't it is it? actually a lot about dad. Yeah. And there's a sequence in it where a character is remembering a relationship that they had with a character that they didn't think of as a father, but then have an epiphany and realize was actually their father figure all along. And you kind of have this kind of montage of them doing stuff that they wanted to do with their dad with this character. Um, and it feels weirdly like kind of Infernal Affairs is doing something similar with this. With like Yan. Yan, Yondu. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Exactly like Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy. 
maybe your father, but he ain't your daddy. Um, <laughs> but you get a real sense, like when that sequence is playing, that the the movie's kind of going like, sure, Jan is taking cocaine, is a nervous wreck, has to sleep on the couch of his psychiatrist. But I mean, really, he doesn't he seem nev- too bad, though, does he? <laughs> he never really properly appreciated the important relationship that he had in his life with Wong. Yeah, who gave him a watch that one time? Yeah, he's recalling all of the all of the you know, like he gave him a watch which wasn't like kind of I want you to have this watch. <laughs> <laughs> I kept this watch in my ass. Yeah, sadly we, we miss out on the Christopher Walken impersonation, but I do um, I, <laughs> yeah. I kind of love how blatant the emotion. I'm sorry, I didn't even go for it, did I? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love, was half-assed. Um, but I love the blatant emotional manipulation of. He's the, uh, looking back on this conversation. <laughs> it's like, oh, he was my father. It's like a when the actual conversations that they were <laughs> the having was like, them, yeah. I can't, I can't stand this. Uh, please uh, help me please, yeah please help like, me you'll do your job <laughs> how about i just cut you loose and let the triads take care of you yeah, yeah that's kind yeah. of omitted from the happy dad montage exactly um and again you have that sequence with uh yan and his uh, ex-girlfriend uh with the with the daughter who is clearly how, how about <laughs> i i cut you loose let those triads take care of you I like it. I like it a lot. No, uh, <laughs> stop. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, the kind of sequence where Jan meets his his child, his daughter as well, um, which is kind of an interesting beat because it's never really contextualized or followed up. It's just like, hey, this is a movie about dad stuff. Um, and it kind of it's it's an odd beat in the film. I kind of like it being there because it kind of gets at this this thing, the sense that maybe. This movie is possibly about absent fathers, but it's also so vague that you could completely miss it if you weren't paying attention. Right. It's like Jan is looking for a father figure, but he also plus, is an absent father figure himself. It really makes you think. Plus, it's 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 kind of shoehorned in. Yeah. A little bit. Well, you could easily cut that sequence and you would lose nothing from the film. Again, it's like the psychiatrist sequences. You could imagine that there's a 90-minute cut of the movie where Jan doesn't meet his ex-girlfriend and she's removed from the sequence at the end of his funeral. And you could also imagine that, like, the psychiatrist sequences could easily have been cut as well. Well, presumably they're both orphans. Single child, single children. Presumably. Um, and again, this is the thing where the movie moves so fast that you don't really get a chance to kind of figure, you don't really get a chance to kind of dwell on that. The Departed spends a lot more time with the two of them before uh, they get to the, that sequence. Whereas what I really like about Infernal Affairs, is it just throws you in. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, it's like, we're not going to explain any background. You're not going to find out what happened to their parents. You're not going to find out whether they have any previous relations or connections to organized crime. It's just like, yep, all you need to know is that they're a blank slate going in, uh, which I kind of admire. It gives the movie the chance to hit the ground running, uh, which I really, really like. Again, the opening sequence is like, is a, is a montage, basically, but it's a very effective montage in terms of bringing you up to speed and giving you what you need to know, I think, about the film, about the characters. It's very, very efficient storytelling. And again, this is one of the things where the movie, you know, we talked about this as the I see what you're doing there movie kind of thing where, you know, movies can seem a little bit like they're being too smart for their own good Mm. or a little bit too engineered, a little bit too designed. And one of the things that I really like about this movie is that it is impeccably designed. And again, think of the symmetries in terms of like plot. So you have not only are they two undercover operatives working on opposite sides of the law, but they're also undercover operatives who have been tasked with finding, wait for it, 
themselves as well on top of it but you have like things like even even little details of symmetry like their girlfriends psychoanalyzing them as it runs throughout the kind of the push and pull that they feel where like sam and wong are kind of are themselves opposite figures where they're supposed to be read as maybe they were friends once maybe they you know once had a kind of an acquaintance between them where you have sam saying only one of us can live which applies just as much to you know to to yan and to lao and it all it's all very very carefully structured and mirrored wanting all the way down to be that other person that you're not yeah. wanting to be the mirror yeah of ex- yourself exactly and again all of that could seem and like when i talk about it like that there's a real sense of like i worry that people again hopefully people listen to the podcast and watch the movie but like you're listening to that and you're going this movie is so far up its own asshole i really like that the movie isn't the movie is impeccably kind of it balances all of this very very well without ever seeming heavy-handed uh and without ever seeming clumsy and without ever seeming like any of this is is forced you know and without being overly long yes yes indeed so with that in mind um (laughs) is there anything else you want to talk about anything that we haven't discussed already with regards to infernal affairs no no it's 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 um it's it is it is it is quite enjoyable uh like like I feel like you could go down a long kind of a hole of who did it better. Yeah. <laughs> um, between between Infernal Affairs and uh, Departed. But, and luckily enough, necessary. our Departed podcast will be as long as the movie itself. So we'll have plenty of time to get into that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but no, no, it is. It is. I absolutely adore uh, this movie. All right, then. So let's let's kind of wrap up then. Um, so, Andrew, do you have anything you'd recommend for listeners? Anything that, you, that you're enjoying that you think they might enjoy as well? Anything I'm enjoying that they, that our listeners might enjoy as well. I'm not thinking of anything right now. I'll let you go ahead with that one. All right, cool. Um, Chinese cinema has had a very, very, very good couple of years. Um, I haven't seen much from the Hong Kong film industry in recent years, but I've seen a couple of corker Chinese films uh, last year. First one I recommend is The Crossing, uh, which is a film about Hong Kong, even if I'm not sure it's a Hong Kong film. It is a film about a teenage girl who takes a job smuggling iPhones between the mainland and Hong Kong in order to earn some extra money for her family. It is a very, very good, very tout, very claustrophobic, but very effective kind of like character drama slash crime study and i think i think it's very very worth your worth your time and worth seeking out the other one that i'd recommend i think i recommend this before possibly on the capernaum podcast but i think jay also recommended uh, ashes purest white uh which is one of i think it was like my ninth favorite film of last year uh which is a chinese and again feels really odd that all these movies we're recommending are crime films but it is a crime romance it's set across three decades in chinese society uh between a husband and wife um, who basically find themselves separate and reuniting once every 10 years against the backdrop of a changing Chinese society. It is staggeringly beautiful to look at. It features two wonderful central performances and as somebody who has been described as a robot that generates movie opinions, I found myself very, very moved by kind of the romance at the core of the story. I found something very affecting and very humane in it as well. So I'd wholeheartedly recommend kind of seeking those out if you uh, if you get a chance. Um, and if you're you're looking for something to watch, uh, particularly uh, at this moment in time, yeah, um, I, I guess I'd I'd like to repeat the uh, the plug uh, for the uh, the Irish Cancer Society, and but I I think to also mention um, uh, alone 
um, have been given a role in the um, COVID-19 uh, crisis. Um, Alone is a charity here in Ireland um, that has a, um, a specific focus on, on the elderly um, and on uh, people in, uh, elderly people in isolation as well. Um, particularly point at this moment in time. Yes, yeah, because it, it's, cost, it's people it? over 60s, people in their 70s um, and, and up who are, who, are, who are most at risk. Um, and they're, um, uh, they're performing a very important service and have, have, have been kind of um, uh, given, given an, an, an increased role during this crisis. So yeah, any um any anybody as well who who wants who wants to throw some money their way, to, uh, please do. I will include links to, in our show notes and hopefully tweet some out as well, so you can you can participate or kind of share there if you if you have a a couple of euro that you can spare or throw that. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Alright, uh, if 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 and if you don't, uh, just to kind of share. Yeah, just to um, uh, spread the word, um, because they're very very good causes. Yeah, um, you you might have a friend who 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 might be able to. Right then, so that then I think kind of wraps it up. What we're going to be doing is next week, uh, we're going to be hopefully, uh, if we can pull it off, and again, keep in mind that, you know, this is a very volatile time. We're kind of wary of making promises. We may end up taking gap weeks if we can't work out the schedule, but if everything works out, if it all lines up... we may end up having like more than one episode a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we might actually... Just to cover people, our our own and your own boredom. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, we may. So it's all up in the air. We're all trying to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah. With, if with Darren the can't go see movies in the evening. <laughs> Darren's going to talk and, about movies. And if I can't go um, uh, to work. <laughs> then, <laughs> we'll figure something out. To yeah, yeah. Work. And if the rest of you guys are in the same boat, um, let us know. There is also our back catalogue. Yes, we do have a very, very large back catalogue. 175 episodes. Yeah. Uh, one of which is 18 we've, hours we've got, long. We've got back. <laughs> Baby got back catalogue. To quote the wonderful philosopher Sir Mix-a-Lot. Um, I don't believe he's actually a knight. Um, I think that was a scandal a couple of years ago. I think it came out. He wasn't actually properly knighted. Yeah, no, he was an OBE, but, but not a KBE. Yeah. Um, and I think we're still reeling from, from that revelation. But if everything goes to plan, but... I like big butts and I cannot lie. Uh, but if everything goes to plan, next week we'll have the oh. wonderful... Ho, ho. <laughs> And then next week, hopefully, then we'll be able to have the wonderful uh, Giovanna Rampazzo, uh, Ireland's leading expert on Indian cinema, and the wonderful Babu Patel, the 250's leading expert on cricket, joining us to talk about the Indian uh, epic Gangs of Wazipur. And because the film was released as in two parts uh, in foreign markets, we'll actually be doing a two-parter covering it as well. Um, what we would recommend, if you want to watch the movie, because again, it's an international movie, and because people are kind of like, I, I suspect at the moment, heavily streaming material, if you're in the United States... You can stream it on Fandor in high definition, but you can also get it on Mubi uh, via the Amazon app as well. Um, If you're in the UK and Ireland, unfortunately, I don't believe there's any streaming option available. You may have to order the Blu-ray, but you can possibly find it on the Google Store. I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, take care. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.